Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. Good morning. Happy Easter. If we haven't had the chance to meet, I'm Robbie Itterberg, one of the pastors, and it is great to be with you on this Easter morning. And as we begin, I've got a question for you. What if the resurrection never happened? What if Jesus were still in the grave? Where would that leave us? Where would it have left Peter so long ago? I think it would have left him in his disillusionment, his fear, his regret, his shame, his guilt. And the reality is the resurrected Jesus came to deal with those things for Peter and for us today. You heard a little bit of the story from John 21 earlier where we see Jesus pursuing Peter again. This, we're told, is the third time. The first time was actually on Easter Day when the disciples were in a locked room and Jesus just kind of shows up right there. I think that would have freaked him out. And he says, peace be with you. And he breathes his Holy Spirit on them and then gives them a job. He says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. The second time they are gathered actually in that same locked room, but this time Jesus shows up because Thomas wasn't there the first time, and Jesus wanted to show Thomas the wounds in his hands and the wounds in his side because Thomas didn't want to believe unless he saw those with his own eyes, and Jesus wanted to make sure that everyone with doubts could have what they need to be able to grapple and believe. Now, this is the third time Jesus shows up. But after those first two kind of mind-blowing, miraculous encounters with Jesus, what does Peter decide to do? Let's go fishing, right? And, And six other disciples apparently decide to join him. Now, this is not fishing like we understand it, fishing for fun. It's not like, hey, the stripers are on the move looking for something to eat because it's springtime and there's 35 to 50 pound class fish being reported, which is in fact the fishing report for this week, if you're into that sort of thing. This was not fun. Fishing in Peter's day was for survival. It was his livelihood. As a matter of fact, Peter was a fisherman before he ever knew Jesus in the first place. Peter's parents, his father was a fisherman. And so in this moment, in this story, it seems like Peter is going back to what's familiar to him, what's comfortable what he knows, what he's confident with, what can help him kind of get his bearings once again because everything seems off that can help him feel valuable again like he can do something productive. Seems like he's trying to move on, trying to get on with life since this whole following Jesus thing didn't work for him. And man, he was sure it was going to work. He was so positive As a matter of fact, just a couple of days earlier, a few days earlier, that night before Jesus was crucified, Jesus was gathered with his disciples in the room. They're having this conversation, and Jesus says, hey, I'm about to leave you. 
And of course, they're terrified and don't really understand. But Peter speaks up and he's like, whoa, Jesus, Lord, why can't I follow you? I'll go wherever. I will lay my life down for you. In other words, even if everyone else quits, everyone else bails out, everyone else's faith wavers, I'm in till the very end. And man, Peter, he's so sincere in this moment. But Jesus looks back at him and clearly says, really? You'll lay your life down for me? No. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you're going to have disowned me three times. And, and what was Peter feeling and thinking in that moment? Like, what? Come on, Jesus. Really, you think that little of me? But just a few hours later, everything Jesus prophesied came true. He was arrested in the garden. He was taken by force to the high priest's home where there was this rigged trial and all of these false witnesses bringing, you know, lies basically as testimony against him. And we're told by John that Peter follows at a distance. He's passively watching as all of these things play out. And on three different occasions, three different interactions with various people, he had his chance. He had his chance to prove his faith, to do what he said he would do, to stand with Jesus when everybody else had scattered. And when the moment came, the moment was too big for him. He gave in. And then Jesus was executed. And Peter had to live with that. Why does Peter deny Jesus in the first place? You think about, ever think about that? Why does Peter disown Jesus? Why does his loyalty and faith so quickly turn to abandonment and rejection? I mean, I can imagine there's lots of layers to it, but maybe the first layer, perhaps it's the most obvious, the easiest, is just fear. Maybe it's fear of the authorities and the consequences, right? Jesus has just been arrested by force, and it looks like he is headed for the death penalty, and so, you know, Peter thought that he was ready to go with him, and don't we all think that on the front end? (laughs) But we don't know how we're going to react until the moment comes where we really have to prove our muster, don't we? We really have to stand up and take action. None of us really knows. And Peter thought he knew, but when the moment came, it was too big for him. And he gave in. And maybe it was fear of those consequences, or maybe it was fear of the rejection that he would face. Right? The rejection from his own people. Like these were the Jewish leaders that were rejecting Jesus. And this would have meant rejection from his family, rejection from his friends. Can you imagine? I mean, can you imagine being cut off from your network of relationships completely? Can you imagine the weight of that? Being blackballed at work or school, being cut off, not invited any longer to the family dinner? That's heavy. And maybe we can have a little empathy for Peter, realizing that that could have been the weight of his decision, of his fear that he's feeling. And maybe you have had some of this. Maybe you've tried to take a stand. Maybe you've tried to make your faith known and be bold and take a stand with Jesus, but you've been laughed at. You've been ridiculed. You've been blackballed. People have turned their back on you, even your family. 
and it's hard. Imagine Peter, on top of his fear, was also just feeling disillusioned with the whole thing. Right? Like, they were sure Jesus was the one. They were sure he was the one that was going to make everything right. He was the one that was going to fix the mess of the world. And then he's arrested. He's crucified. They were sure they were on the right side of things. And now I'm sure they were feeling a bit foolish to put their trust in him. He he couldn't even defend himself against false accusations and as they're crucifying on a cross. If he won't defend himself, how can we trust that he's going to defend us? And so they might have started to believe, man, we got to fight for ourselves. We got to take care of us. I think this happens to us all the time. People of faith, people not of faith, so disillusioned with the whole Christian experience. But it doesn't turn out maybe the way you thought it would. You cry out to God in prayer, the heaviness, the desperation, pleading that God would show up and do something, and then it doesn't go the way that we expect it to go. And it just seems to burst our whole idea and understanding of who God is and how he's supposed to work in the world. And it's so easy in those moments to slip into that thinking and that feeling of, well, I guess I'm going to have to do it myself. And so rather than continuing to pursue and to trust Jesus, it's, you know, I just better trust me. I got to trust me to fix my problems. I got to trust me to deal with the issues that I'm facing. Or maybe it's, I just got to trust me to be good enough so that I can turn to God in my greatest time of need and I can reasonably expect God to do something. Look, God, I'm a good person. So do something good for me. Fundamentally, really believing that we need to save ourselves. We don't really need Jesus. And that can take the form of a very religious-looking life, going through all of the motions of the, the religious activity, but doing it not because we recognize the need and our faith and our trust in Jesus, but really as a way to pad and, and boost our resume that we want to present to God, denying Jesus as Savior and as Lord. Instead, really, it's about me. What can I do? And when I'm doing well, I feel pretty good about myself. And when I'm failing, man, I just feel like worthless. Others, I think, have become disillusioned. As a matter of fact, all of the statistics say that our young people are becoming increasingly disillusioned with the Christian faith. 60% walking away and never returning to the faith. 60%. And a lot of it's because of this disillusionment. Disillusionment because bad stuff happens, doesn't it? And they haven't been given any good answers or even been told worse than that. You're not even allowed to ask the questions, let alone get a good answer. And so there's this disconnect and this feeling of an inauthenticity. Then if I have to pretend and I have to fake it, then that's not a faith that I want to be a part of. And others have become disillusioned, particularly in the last five or six years, because of how political and politicized the church has become. On all sorts, on all sides of the aisle, all sorts of issues, but fundamentally it feels like many, it's not about Jesus' kingdom and his values and his priorities, it's really the religion of politics. 
And that's just disgusting. And you don't want to be a part of it. And I don't blame you. Others I know are disillusioned because of the behavior we see in churches. Right? Another story of abuse and of scandal. See the hypocrisy. See the reality of not standing on clear convictions and principles for good reason and not, not loving as Jesus has loved. And it's not supposed to be this way. And if you feel disillusioned because of that, then you're right. It's not supposed to be this way. So what does Peter do in his fear and disillusionment? What do we do? He walks away. Even though he had two encounters with the risen Jesus, he walks away and goes fishing. I think we walk away. We try to move on. You can sit in the pew every week and still try to move on. And you can run away as far as you want trying to move on. But here's the beauty of the Easter story. We may walk away from Jesus, but Jesus doesn't walk away from Peter and Jesus doesn't walk away from you. He rises from the dead and not just generally to rise from the dead to kind of flex and show off, but he rises from the dead to intentionally pursue Peter. And if for Peter there was no resurrection of Jesus, then there was no hope, no hope of reconciliation, no hope of coming out of his fear, out of his disillusionment. He was going to carry it forever. When I was in college, my little sister, who was six years younger than I am, I was responsible for picking her up from the airport one day. And I was running a little late, and I don't know, I don't know why when you're running late, you can never find a parking spot. But I get into the parking garage at Denver International Airport, and I, I'm circling, desperate to find a parking spot, and I eventually pull around the corner, and I see one opening up just up there on the left. And so I put my foot down on the pedal because there's nobody beating me to this spot. I got to get there. And I'm, so I'm coming in a little hot, and I realize the angle isn't quite right, but I'm like, I just got to get it done. And I pull into the spot until I get a crunch. And I stop, and I'm like, what was that? I'm sure it was nothing, and I kept going. The front corner of my car tearing into the side of the rear door and the driver's door until I come to a stop in my parking spot. And I jump out. I look at the damage. I want to throw up. <laughs> I feel awful. I'm late for my sister. I'm scrambling. I have nothing to write on. I have nothing to write with. So I leave. I go inside get my sister, and I'm like, okay, whew, now I can deal with this. We come back out to the parking garage, car's gone. And there's nothing I can do. I fully expected a couple weeks later for the police to knock on my door because the security camera caught my license plate or whatever, and like, hey, remember your hit and run? I'm like, yeah, I remember. It never happened. To this day, I feel awful about this. There was so much damage Nothing that I can do because that person, whoever it was, was gone. If Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, Peter would have been left carrying his guilt and his shame with no opportunity for a different future. No opportunity for reconciliation. Only the heaviness to carry for the rest of his days. 
But Jesus rose from the dead to pursue Peter, to reconcile with Peter so that he could be lifted out of that shame, guilt, disillusionment, and fear. And let's hear the rest of the story from John 21. If you want, you can follow along on the screen. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death Peter would, by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus rises and shows up this third time, not just to have breakfast with the disciples. After breakfast, he grabs Peter to go for a walk, have an intimate conversation so that he could pose him this important question. Peter, do you love me more than these? (laughs) And there's two ways you could take that question. Do you love me more than these things? Do you love me more than these nets and this boat and these fish? Do you love me more than the things that give you a sense of security, that help you in your hiding move on from your shame and your guilt? Do you love me more than these things? Or it could mean, do you love me more than these these other disciples? Do you love me more than you love them? Do you love me more than you love their acceptance and their love for you? Yes, you know I love you, Lord. He doesn't really answer the question. Jesus says, then take care of my sheep. And perhaps this morning, this is the question you need to answer. What do you love the most? What do you take pleasure in? What do you find that gives you worth and hope and meaning? What is it that helps you move out of your discomfort of shame and guilt of your past? How's it working for you? Do you love Jesus more than these? Because I think he's inviting you to consider that. And he asked Peter two more times, do you truly love me? And the third time, that's when Peter's hurt. It like cuts to the heart. And maybe it's because it was being asked three times and that much doubt and question. Or maybe it was because Peter remembers the three times that he had disowned Jesus. And the weight of that feels still so heavy upon him. You know all things, Jesus. You know that I love you. You know all things. You know my fear. You know my failure. You know my sin. You know my disillusionment. You know my doubts. You know my guilt. You know the weight and the ugliness. You know it all, and you know that I love you, Jesus. Peter's been humbled, humbled by his failure. And perhaps for you this morning, that's also the invitation is to be humbled. To love him fully, truly, 
more than the comparisons to other people, to love him more than looking out for yourself, of feeling good about yourself, of proving yourself, to love him more than all those things that you might put your hope in. See, Jesus asked three times, one for each of Peter's denials, because I think Jesus wanted him to have complete forgiveness, complete love, and complete restoration. Because he doesn't just forgive Peter. He doesn't just say, okay, it's cool, man. You love me. It's all water under the bridge, which is kind of what we do. No, he says, okay, then take care of my sheep. Feed my lambs. He gives him the mission that he had failed to do over and over again. He gave him purpose. He restored meaning to his life. And Jesus wants to do the same for you. He wants to restore your relationship with God wherever you've run, however far you've gone, however disillusioned you've been. And he wants to restore the meaning and purpose to invite you to love and to serve the way you have been loved and served by Jesus. To give your life away. And to hear the invitation, the last words that we read, follow me. What would that look like for you today? What would it look like for you to take that seriously, to follow Jesus? Maybe for you it's to take a risk on Jesus in the first place. To stop trusting in yourself and to trust in him, to finally put your faith in him, that he is the one who can reconcile you to God. He's the one who can take care of your past, of your guilt and your shame. And if that's the case, then maybe it's time to respond in faith and maybe it's time to consider being baptized. And if that's where you are this morning, if you want that restored relationship and meaning and purpose, then you can go to pctr.org next and there's a baptism form and we'll be doing that for, for adults in the coming weeks. Maybe for you this morning, it's to stop hiding, to stop hiding in your religious activity to stop hiding in those places that are trying to cover over your guilt and your shame. It's to turn back to Jesus. Maybe you've been away for a long time and it's time to return to him, to know his profound love for you because here's the beauty. Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? He asked him three times. Well, it's because Jesus loved him enough to go to him, to pursue him, and he loves you enough that he's pursuing you this morning. So stop pretending. To love, truly love him above all else. Serve him. Give your life away. Tend and feed his sheep. He is risen. So your past does not define you. Your failure, your sin, your disillusionment, your fear do not hold you captive. You are free to be loved by him, to love God, and to serve others. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this hope that we have on this Easter morning to be restored because you are risen. May that truth burrow deep down into our hearts and our souls this morning. Give us what we need to respond, to respond in faith this morning to say, Jesus, I trust you. I'm gonna take that risk again. I'm gonna move towards you. Lord Jesus, may you show up as a risen Lord that we can encounter you again. In Jesus' name, amen. As we come to the end of our service, we have the opportunity to participate in the tradition that goes back hundreds of years on Easter morning throughout churches all over the world. That's to rise for the Hallelujah Chorus from Handel's Messiah. And if you know it, sing out as we proclaim that good news this morning.